Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm your host, Danny Morang, and I stopped being selfish and decided to bring Steve DeWall back, uh, associate editor, of course, at Blazers Edge. Uh, I outsourced some questions, and I have been doing mailbags the last couple podcasts because... Um, if you've been paying attention for the last couple months, I've been really busy. Um, and I want to do, I've had a couple of videos that are like three quarters of the way done. <laughs> if Steve is, Steve knows this. Cause I told him, Hey, I'm working on this. Yep. yep. And they've been sitting there for weeks. Um, it's the, uh, it's the nature of the beast, right? You're, you're yep. currently, uh, uh, landscaping and remodeling the interior of the house. So, uh, you, yeah, you, oh, uh, yeah. you were fulfilling husbandly duties right now. I, I don't think anybody really tells you that when you get married and you have a young kid that like Mother's Day is actually probably the most in-depth holiday for your significant other and wife that mm-hmm. you deal with. It's more than an anniversary, I feel like. It's more than a birthday, more than Christmas, Valentine's Day, all that. It's like all of it rolled into one. So like you really just don't want to screw it up. So I've been I've been walking that line for the last week or so. So but but it was a success. I did get a good thank you. My mother-in-law's happy with me. My mother's happy with me. So we're I think we're on solid footing here. There you go. I uh, unfortunately my, my my side of the family is is sick right now. Nothing crazy. So we're postponing until next week, um which is again going to be unfortunate cuz I get that uh I'll be uh vaxxed and waxed. Uh, mm-hmm. come next, next weekend uh the second moderna hits so yep. we'll see how well that turns out so if you guys are tuning into the uh what appears to be a midday nuggets oh, blazers yeah. season ender uh as shams has said the games are going to be slated between nine and basically one pacific shout out uh, mimosa sundays for the blazers but if i look like twice fried dog poo um, <laughs> just no it's just the vax uh, i'll just be dying on set so uh yeah it's it's busy folks uh, i mm-hmm. wish i had more time to put out more content and the, the off season i'm gonna take anything basically that i didn't finish during the regular season and, the, and, and honestly I'll, I'll probably dump a lot of it in the playoffs because we'll have a little bit of a break we could, i guess that's the easy way to get into this is mm-hmm. the blazers are likely gonna land in the six seed now right steve i mean i don't i'm not here to jinx it anything but it's it's certainly looking that way obviously the result against the lakers gives them the tiebreaker over la which was huge coming down the stretch here for me you look at mathematically it's it's the sixth seed they they can put their foot in their mouth that's for sure uh the lakers right now are up on the suns as we record this here on sunday evening so they could get one back here and for the longest time I think everybody thought that those last three games that teams would be sitting guys against the Blazers, whereas I no longer think that's going to be the case. <laughs> I've kind of thought that now for a couple of weeks. I don't think the one, two, three is going to be tied up. And so you're going to have Utah, Phoenix, and Denver um, all fighting for seeding possibilities. Um, who wants to avoid maybe that one seed? You might have a team that wants to avoid the one seed because you may be playing the Lakers or the Warriors coming out of that bracket. And 
Mm-hmm. Even if you're not quote unquote afraid of them, I think you probably want to avoid those teams in a sense of um, they, they've got guys that can kill you. I mean, they, they, they've got guys who mm-hmm. can just absolutely smoke you. Do you think any of those teams are actively avoiding trying to stay away from that kind of play in matchup? I, I think so. I think the, the Clippers are probably the only team that are, is basically bring it on. Um, Which is I, I think, to think about. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a turnaround from last year, kind of what the, they're all full collapse last year. But it's just crazy to think that the Jazz and the Suns, two teams that are kind of these feel-good stories at top of the standings, and their reward could potentially be facing potentially Steph Curry and LeBron James in the first round. Like, that's a nightmare situation. What I do hope for is as we enter maybe that last game, I'd love to see Denver try to get cute with it in the standings because the last time they did that, as we all remember, absolutely <laughs> blew up in their face and and the Blazers beat them on their way to the Western Conference Finals. And, and that's the way Denver wanted that bracket set up. Speaking of winning the, way, uh, winning the bracket to be set up a certain way, Portland's not in a position to, to, to pick favorites. They're, they're, they're going to be... Um, the the underdog no matter what matchup they go into however you want denver right yeah i well okay logically yes i want denver i think that's the most likelihood of success for the blazers you look at the matchup there yusuf nurkic is one of the few centers in this league that can actually on paper match up with Jokic. And he did play Jokic incredibly well in the last matchup regardless of box score Jokic. I mean, especially in that fourth quarter was just on another level. And Nurk made him work for everything. And I'm I'm the first guy to to kind of tamp down on the Nurk Jokic mm-hmm. stuff, but I think that'd be a hell of a playoff matchup. And selfishly though, I will say this. I kind of want to see the Clippers. Like I like so I've been You really love that SEO, bu- don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been I've been I've been blowing through Ben Gulliver's bubble ball, which has been one of my favorite sports reads I've had in a long time. And you just, you reread those sections about what idiots the Clippers oh, were at the God. end of that game. And, and I ben, just, ben goes in depth on that too, which is yeah, great. It, it's it's a little bit of pettiness that Ben still holds a, 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 being a Blazers guy. Don't get it twisted yeah, guys. Yeah. Ben is still through and through a Blazer guy, no matter how much he tells you he's not. And if you think Damian Lillard isn't going to have that on his mind in a series like that, he's going to replay it every yeah. game. <laughs> he not only could he send off Patrick Beverly, but he could send off Paul George again, again. and oh, it would be epic. But I like again, there's not really as many easy solutions on paper for Boring reality for guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, <laughs> or yeah. So I I mean, if you're looking at entertainment value, I I'm a Clippers first round matchup is kind of what I'm hoping for. But as a, as a person who wants to see the Blazers advance, you probably want to see Denver. Yeah. I mean, what, what's Portland's Achilles heel? It's, it's dribble drive primary initiators. That's, that's their mm-hmm. problem. They can't contain uh, primary creators with the ball in their hands. Now Jokic presents some unique opportunities uh, and challenges where he operates in the high post. And then on that block uh, as, as the, you know, an inverted playmaker, but mm-hmm. I think Portland's much better prepared to handle that than they are guys, either big body wings or uh, guards that can probe and attack you all night. And that's the, the flip side is the way the nuggets are right now, the Blazers could load to Jokic and say, anybody else beat us. The flip side of that is Michael Porter jr. Is going to get on a stage this summer and he's going to beat some teams. 
Mm-hmm. He he's going to average twenty five a game. He may be a guy who goes absolutely bonkers and averages thirty a game for a series. He is he has done more than I thought he was going to do. His mind is wrapping around how to actually play off Jokic and change his game a little bit. Obviously those two guys don't fit together incredibly well. (laughs) They haven't been on the same page really at all, but now without Murray in there, without another ball handler in there, it's starting to kind of fall on MPJ in that regard. So that's, that's a problem for Portland because they'd have to deal with the front court of Jokic, MPJ and, and uh, Aaron Gordon, who I've been told is not very good uh, by a lot of people. Uh, How's that working out for you folks? Um, yeah, he's, he's been fantastic for them and he's, he's fit in for everything that they need. He's, he's, they've got multiple guys that can handle big bodied wings now. So, um, Mm -hmm. unfortunately for them, and I do say this unfortunately, because I genuinely think if they were fully healthy, they would be a title contender. Mm -hmm. Um, and it would have been cool to have not necessarily Denver, but to have a different narrative of outside of the LA teams. I think that would have been a, a cool story. Now I still have the Suns as my dark horse Phoenix or dark horse finals pick. Uh, if it's if it's not going to be one of the LA teams, that's who I've kind of said all along. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in them at all? Yeah, I I do worry a little bit about just the relative lack of playoff experience on the which Suns. is any of them. <laughs> well, it's I mean of your top three guys on that team, you know, Chris Paul is a checkered playoff history at best. Sure, and then this will be the first trip for DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. Um, yes, and it is. And Bridges, and but Jay Crowder does have a lot of experience. Yeah. There are guys I, I think I trust Monty Williams in those situations. I think he's an excellent coach, but they're going to get drug into the deep end in one of those series, and how they respond is going to be really interesting. And, and I think history kind of tells us a lot of these teams tend to have to have kind of that one year ramp up and kind of go through the motions as a unit yeah. before they really make that run. And I think the Suns might be a year ahead of schedule on that. As far as that goes, this might that be sounds vaguely familiar with the Suns. I feel like the <laughs> last time they were in the playoffs, they revamped and tried to get ahead of the schedule. Yeah. Oh, but also, I mean, I, the same side of the coin, the team I'm really interested about is the jazz, because I think with yeah. the series they had with the nuggets last year, I think that was just such valuable playoff experience for Donovan Mitchell, him yeah. going head to head with Jamal Murray, who we kind of alluded to earlier when we were talking about the nuggets I think that team is ready to really make some noise in the po- in the postseason, and I think there's a lot of matchups that kind of go their way, and they just have so many guys that can hurt you and know your role. And Quinn Snyder, I think, outside of maybe Nick Nurse and Eric Spolstra when they when they're really clicking with those teams, Snyder really puts his guys in positions to succeed on both ends of the floor. He draws them think- up better than I think. As far as guy, as far as a guy who diagrams sets and comes up with ingenious things. I've got him number one on my board. He, mm-hmm. he does some stuff every single night with a little bit of a wrinkle um, that he puts in for not necessarily an opponent, but for one of his guys. He'll, it's a, hey, they, they do this. We can take advantage of it in this way. And it's not something that if you don't watch a lot of the jazz that you're going to catch on, but you'll say, oh, they, they don't really run, you know, an elevator door set you know, middle of the floor, mm-hmm. but instead middle of the floor, they'll go wing extended because they're trying to drag X defender. Who's not great laterally laterally with somebody, you know, they'll do that with like Bogdanovich or something along those lines. And they'll, they'll flex Rudy out of a weak side corner. And instead of, instead of rolling him down the middle, they'll, they'll run him down the baseline. And all of a sudden it's a different angle of attack. And they just do little stuff like that, that I think in a playoff series, when you're, when you're trying to take away tendencies, 
they can compensate for things by doing that and the fact that they are going to probably break an NBA record for three-pointers attempted made and percentage as a mm-hmm. team. So uh, when you factor that in and their defensive personnel, I, I it's hard for me to differentiate playoffs from regular season because it is always so different. But the narrative behind Rudy mm-hmm. Gobert and his – you know, being played off the floorness, which isn't really a thing that has happened a ton. It's happened like twice against the Rockets when they played a bunch of six, seven dudes. <laughs> but um, yeah. let's roll this back to the Blazers talking about coaching here because um, we actually have fun <laughs> stuff to talk about with the Blazers. So yep. let's, let's reset and reframe this real quick. Owen five, some of the worst basketball I've ever seen from this iteration of the Blazers lifeless, mm-hmm. listless, joyless. I talked about sitting Damian Lillard down for the rest of the season because he could not turn a corner on Dylan Brooks or Grayson Allen, which if you're an NBA player who's even remotely decent offensively, that should not be a difficult task. And yes, I will throw <laughs> both of them under the bus regularly because they're highly overrated, especially on the defensive end. Just because you grab a lot and bark doesn't mean you're actually a good defender. Um, <laughs> but Dame should walk by those guys like they're standing still. Dame's first step is probably one of the five or six quickest in the NBA. That's, that's what separates him from everybody else. That's his supreme athletic gift. When we talk about Damian Lillard, we probably don't talk about enough that first step and his Mm -hmm. ability to decelerate off that first step to create that separation. That's, that's what makes him special. That was non-existent over the course of 10 days. He couldn't get by anybody. And I was just looking at that like he just had a week off. How does he look like this after having a week off? Like if, if this is the case, pack him up because they can't do anything with this. Mm-hmm. Fast forward to a road trip, they go five and one on, and realistically, had that Atlanta game not been the circumstances it was in, you know, f- you know, fourth game in six nights, uh, the tornado warning being pulled out of bed, getting your COVID check in the morning, getting in on the plane at four o'clock, and then you know driving from the airport to the hotel, which is about an hour drive from the Atlanta airport to the hotel. Mm-hmm. Like, they came out and they were game for – almost three quarters and then they just didn't have any gas in the tank and it's so weird it's not weird it's not the right night word i can't use the right word because of this podcast is 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 family friendly it was bleepity bleeping bleeping weird like it made absolutely no sense i have never and i mean this without any hyperbole i have never seen a team go from playing that bad and yes, they were that bad. I talked to a lot of folks around the league who were like, they are a one, two, three Cancun. They are done. They are playing selfish. They're not playing for each other. It's done. The Lillard, Stotts, McCollum era is over. A week later, they go six and one, or they're going to be five and one on the road trip. They're now, what, seven and one in their last eight yep. games. They have the best offensive rating, excuse me, the second best offensive rating in the league over that time period, the fifth best defensive rating. They are scoring at every level. They are playing good defense, not great, but significantly better than anything they've done this entire season. And now everybody's talking about, well, maybe they could win a series. Please, my friend. With all that being said, what the hell? <laughs> like you said, I mean, I, I kind of want to start at the same point. Like that losing streak, when everything's on the line, it's all home games. I, I really felt like it was this stinking feeling that I felt after about game two of the Pelican series, probably three, four years ago. Mm-hmm. Like, where not Hopeless. only did you feel like like the season is slipping away, but the entire era and the framework around Damian Lillard is collapsing. And like you said, I don't know what triggered it. I don't know 
what talk occurred or what happened on that road trip, but it was a complete change. I think you saw guys buying in to their roles for the first time since all those pieces have been together. And then also, let's be real here. Yusuf Nurkic is showing that he is a pillar of this franchise again. Yeah. Like, And when he is doing that, this is a totally different team. The, the roster constructed around him, around Damian Lillard, is completely different when Yusuf Nurkic is cooking on defense and on offense. He is such a safety valve release for the entire offense. And defensively, him and Robert Covington make so much sense next to each other because Nurkic dropping to the basket – makes a lot of sense. And then Robert Covington is at his best, not an individual stopper, stay in front of his guy. He is best when he is chasing a guy or side to side with someone and poking that ball free. So you're allowing the whole defense to play to its strengths and the offense play to its strengths. And and Norman Powell has fit in and I'll eat some crow on this (laughs) has fit in way better than I imagined. And I, Hoping that he stays that that is kind of my last I'm not trying to move the goalposts on my feeling on that trade. If he stays already from this season, it, that that trade was a slam dunk. And, and it's hard to argue against it at this point. Even if he comes in like less than five million less than CJ McCollum's average deal right now, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to free up money. You're going to have a guy who fits alongside Damian Lillard, probably better, uh, who's younger and provides the things that you have wanted to get from that position that haven't been there for five plus years. So let's rewind here. And just talking about getting it together. That team off that 0-5 stretch was a bunch of dudes playing by themselves. They weren't playing for each other. They weren't playing together. Uh, it was wildly selfish. And you could see it. And I mean, the ball stopping was, and I've, I've seen some people say, oh, it's just the Blazers. They're an ISO. Shut up. 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 This is a, there is a stark difference between picking and choosing your isolation spots and actively looking guys off. And that's what was happening over the course of about three weeks. Guys were getting looked off. There was frustration. There was people slamming balls, you know, going into timeouts. Words said, and it not not a ton of it translates to TV, but trust me, it was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know what was said in that locker room, but if I had to guess, it was something along the lines of, "We have a month left. Let's get it together and see what happens." Then after that, you can go build your brand, sell your wine, do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. And you can go from there and figure it out. Because here's the dirty secret of the NBA that a lot of people either don't want to know or don't know. That stuff happens every night. It happens every game with every team, even the best teams in the world. Everybody is selling their brand. You had the Lakers win a title last year, and you had Kyle Kuzma out here acting a fool for the entire year just trying to get influencer points and, and Puma money. Like everybody has their own agenda. If you, I can't remember who had it the other day. Um, I think it, no, I think it was uh, Vinny uh, Goodwill uh, up in uh, Yahoo sports. Yeah. He did an article with Jimmy Butler when he left Philly. This is what end of 2019 mm-hmm. um, where the reason why Jimmy said he left Philly was wait for it. Not everybody there was invested in winning a title. Mm -hmm. 
Why? Because you had young Ben Simmons. You had young Joel Embiid. And there's egos and there's cachet and there's pecking order. And everybody thinks that everybody just goes out to play basketball just to play basketball and to win. No. These guys look at it as a monetary, brand-building, ego-serving situation. Even the most humble guy does that. Steph Curry does it. Damian mm-hmm. Lillard does it. It's there. I think you saw an, uh, an element of that leaking onto the court. Mm-hmm. And that happens typically with bad teams, especially at the end of the year. Guys are hunting for contracts. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to get their numbers up for their agents so they can put together their sweet, sweet PowerPoints. And, yes, agents still do those sweet, sweet PowerPoint pitches. Mm-hmm. And Dame got bought in, or Dame got buy-in here. And if you've listened to the pod for any period of time, I am not a guy who sits here and says coaching is the most uh, wonderful thing. It fixes all ills. It's da-da-da. I put the onus on the players, especially the top end players. And I always have, and I always will. And in that regard, I'm going to give Damian Lillard the credit here because mm-hmm. not only has he made his play better on both ends of the floor, defensively he's been significantly better, mm-hmm. but he got everybody else back on the same page. And for him to do that this late in the season with all the excuses they had behind him is nothing short of miraculous. Just to circle back to some of the stuff you covered, I mean, you really covered on what it looks like when people are playing uninspired offense. On defense, that manifests in poor transition defense and not rotating to shooters, i.e. Weird. What was the point? Trailblazers problems? A bunch of corner three-point shots were going in, and they can't stop anybody on the fast break. So it was very clear that this was not only a a problem with their personal personnel that they had but more just an attitude and i don't wouldn't say attitude but just an overall no, you'd buying. Say attitude. <laughs> that's, that's that's a part of it too yeah i think just overall buying into the defensive scheme and really just buying into your role and excelling in your role as far as brands go i will defend players of this yes it exists but also like it's hard to knock players for this. I think players could be super successful and build a brand. Oh yeah. And no, no. And there's, there's the levels to it of what yeah. you're doing. And that's and the you, thing. And you basically have to, because mm-hmm. unlike most of us who work through our career, where we reach our maximum earning potential as we move into our career field, like these guys hit their maximum earning Day potential one. in their mid twenties yeah. and, and they're out of it by their mid thirties. So they have to do everything they can right now. But like you said, you can still be a highly successful player, highly successful teammate and team player and build your brand at the same time. So it's just finding that balance yeah. in a lot of ways and not everybody can do it. No, I mean, realistically, Damian Lillard is incredible for this because he's not just the face of the Portland trailblazers. He's a global face of the NBA. He's the global basketball face of Adidas basketball uh, he's got national advertising campaigns that he does up and down the board. He's big in, in the music industry. Like he does so many things. And for him to do all that, deal with COVID, deal with newborn twins, deal with the death of his cousin and death of family friends. Like he is probably at wit's end. And let's not even – I've done – I've said all this without actually getting to the part of, oh, yeah, by the way, Dame is a hell of a lot more hurt than he will let on. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he's beat up. He is going through a truckload of treatment. He is in way worse shape than you believe. Um, but the flip side of this, and you'll get some, plenty of people who are going to say this, that's what they get paid you – know, those guys get paid the hundreds of millions of dollars for. So we, we've kind of touched on the – 
the horrible and now the good. We, we've got Dame kind of circling back in, in the leadership aspect. The basketball side of it is, hey, Dame gave a crap defensively. Isn't that fun? <laughs> yeah. Two-way two play out of your superstar player? I mean, I lo- love it. I'm here for it. <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's been inspired. I'll, I'll call it that. He's been wildly efficient from the field. And this is what I've, I've noticed. And we'll kind of flip this into the three-guard lineup here real quick. I think Norm knew where he fit in when he got here on day one. I don't think CJ knew where Norm fit in, nor CJ knew where CJ fit in. And so you had these nights where shot totals were for Norm were at like six, seven and CJ's are at like 24. And you're like, huh, that's, that's, that's what they traded for. Huh? And then you had these nights where Norm had 22 and CJ had like 11 and you're like, ah, we're still not there yet. Mm-hmm. But over the last two weeks, Dame, CJ, Norm, probably all around 17 and a half. And it's, that's, that's what is killing opponents right now is that Dame is hitting. Even when CJ's struggling, he's still finding a way to knock down a big three. Even if Norm's not hitting his threes, he's still getting you points in areas that you didn't used to get them in, in transition, on secondary fast breaks, attacking a weak side of a defense on a cross-court pass. Like the things that we've all wanted to see from a, from a Portland, quote-unquote, them doing air quotes here, a quote-unquote three from Portland, being able to catch the ball and attack off the bounce – like you see what Norm does and finishes with an incredible percentage. It's like, oh, right. That's what the Blazers have missed. And with the pressure that puts on opponents with how well Portland has been scoring and the 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 fact that they're no longer reliant on I, – I put the magic number at 16 and a half threes. Basically, if they hit 17 threes, they have like a 90% chance of winning the game. It's just the, how it's worked out. Now you've got a guy who generates free throws, who gets you fast break points, who gets you extra points in the paint. So when that three-point well runs dry, you can manufacture points in the half court. You can get mm-hmm. cheap opportunities in transition. Meanwhile, Yusuf Nurk discovered, hey, if I go up strong with the shot, it'll go in, shockingly. So now you're getting these higher efficiency points that give them more leeway. So they're no longer having to scrape and claw possession after possession because their shooting goes cold. They can manufacture these points in the half court. They can manufacture points in transition. They can run pick and roll. It's effective. That gets more guys involved. And with those three guards attacking from literally three different levels on the floor. Now your defense, because the, 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 the opponent is pulling the bucket or the ball out of the bucket over and over again. It's amazing what happens when you can set your defense consistently. Mm-hmm. And, and just to touch on CJ, yes, the shot isn't always going in, but even and when Norm isn't clicking necessarily all the time, which we haven't seen a lot of from Norm, but those guys have gravity wherever they are, yes. and that's just not something that Portland has had the benefit of. And then also, it just kind of you can see it get into the heads of defenders, and, and really you see it more in the regular season where it's tight turnarounds. Your scouting reports aren't as long compared to the postseason, and you see it manifest in different ways. Like, for instance, yesterday against the Spurs, I don't, I don't know who closed out on Hollis Jefferson, but they ran him off the three-point line. Like, Hollis Jefferson will gladly get run off the three-point line every night, and he went right downhill and hit a lay-in. So you're seeing it just play in not only into the three-guard lineup strengths, but it's really benefiting everybody up and down the roster and opening things up for Robert Covington, Yusuf Nurkic, and his canter. Like everybody, the whole offense is just clicking and moving in a way that it hasn't so far this season. And, and it's really for the Blazers who have 
hovered around or inside the top five all season. It's impressive that they have found this other gear. And, and like you said, it's it's translating to defense just by, like you said, it's always starting from a dead ball, which granted the Blazers haven't been able to stop that all the time, but they are doing no. a better job of stopping. I saw John Morant take a ball out of the hoop the other day, you know, the, the homestead, and then get down the court and dunk in less than four seconds. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I've seen I've seen pretty crappy defense uh, for most of the season. Um, we got a couple questions in here that I got uh, earlier from Twitter. Excuse me. Let's get through some of these because I feel like they're going to touch in on. I think we got most of the stuff that I want to talk about out of the way, but it wasn't wrapped up in these questions. Uh, I kind of, you know, I'm going to do it this way. A couple people asked about Derek Jones Jr. So one word, DJJ, uh, does DJ get any playoff minutes? What happened to DJ? Yeah. This, let's do the overarching, uh, Derek Jones Jr. Conversation here. He's out of the, he's out of the rotation. That's, that's where we're at. Um, he was nicked up a little bit. Uh, and then he fell out of the rotation. The same thing happened last year in Miami. It's unfortunate. He doesn't fit what, what Stotts wants to do. His inability to shoot um, has been an issue and he's going a different way. And I've seen some people say, well, why doesn't he get garbage time minutes? Well, he's on a contract with an option year and not another year on behind that. He's not going to go out there and get injured in, in garbage time minutes. He's beyond that. That's kind of a veteran respect level thing. Um, playoff minutes. I don't know. Maybe there's a matchup that let's say they get the jazz somehow, some way they get the jazz in the playoffs. And you want to put Derek Jones Jr. in because you've got to handle multiple primary initiators. You've got Mike Conley, you've got Donovan Mitchell, you've got Joe Ingles, you've got Bogdanovich. So you've got four guys of varying sizes, lengths, skill sets. Uh, putting Derek Jones Jr. On, on ball on a primary initiator is not a bad idea. But will they use him? I don't know. I mean, wh- what do you think, Steve? Is there anything you can add to this? Well, I think it's kind of telling. I mean, coming off a game where Carmelo Anthony doesn't play, those minutes aren't filled by Derek Jones Jr. They're instead filled by Hollis Jefferson. So, I like you said, I he's clearly out of the rotation. Uh, I, I think there was some potential for his role to work in Portland, but early on, but it just hasn't broken that way. Sure, yeah. And and now it's it's kind of you don't want to really mess with kind of the eight man rotation that Portland has put together here. And I don't know if you want to risk it by trying to reintegrate Derek Jones jr. And really if you're Derek Jones jr. I don't know if you want to jeopardize anything, you know, like you said, injury or putting more bad film out there. Like, I don't know if you really want to risk that when you're, he is going to have a very heavy decision once this season concludes on whether or not to pick up that option or to decline it and search for either more guaranteed years or a better situation to where he feels like he can get to that contract with Mm -hmm. more guaranteed years. But for everybody out there wondering whether or not it's something else, as far as I understand it, no. So take that for what it's worth. Um, And you you hit on here, the eight man rotation. How long can we sustain this eight man rotation in the playoffs? What matchup would be best in the first round? Uh, We kind of already hit the matchup thing. We're we're both in agreement that the best possible matchup for Blazers success is the Nuggets right yes begrudgingly yes <laughs> but, but I still want the Clippers <laughs> no no trust me I get it but I mean if we're yeah. talking about the Blazers winning I mean yeah. the likelihood for success definitely I think uh, falls with the Nuggets and it's not a slight to the Nuggets by any means it's yeah. they don't have a backcourt mm-hmm. like that's 
is where there are at right now. So uh, if they don't have a backcourt and you have Dame CJ Norm, yeah, it's what's, what's the way you want to go. Uh, but as far as the eight man rotation, um, I mean, it's probably like eight and a half, right? Yep. You, you might get some Nas minutes in there. Like that's, I think that's about as far as, as we go at this point. Uh, if, if DJ is not going to be in at all. So maybe you get a Rondé Hollis Jefferson, but I think the eight man is kind of the eight man, um, which I think if you had told me this, what, three months ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But that kind of believes that kind of leads me to the next question here from uh, at ty two seven three. Do you think Simons will get playoff minutes? If so, how much, Steve? How many minutes does Simons get? I, I think maybe slightly. So he's basically been a steady twenty minute per like twenty logging twenty minutes basically for the last month or so. Just roughly recalling his game logs. I, I think he's probably going to be just a little under that, but I think he's still going to be the third most second most minutes off the bench which is saying something um i do wonder what his role will look like because obviously in the playoffs portland is never going to play a rotation that doesn't have at least two of the following three players which is damien lillard cj mccollum and norman powell so it'll be interesting to see where ant lines up with those three if it's just a seamless transition into another three guard lineup or not but I, i think he's definitely playing i think the strides he's made on defense, which I think that Lakers game was good for him because that is a taste of what the postseason is going to be like. <laughs> and and there was clear segments of that game where the Lakers were clearly hunting him on defense. And that's something that he can take. Look at the film and is a hard worker off the floor on the floor. And, and we've seen him progress throughout his career. And I think that is, that came at the perfect time heading into the postseason. I think he'll he'll learn from it, draw from it. And I, I think I think he's in for potentially really kind of fulfilling that spark plug role in the postseason, hopefully. Yeah, I think we're we're in agreement there. I just wanted to pull up, I thought I had his his counting stats up. But uh over the last eight games, and this isn't like earth shattering stuff, but mm-hmm. Ant's playing twenty two a night. He's giving you nine points, he's shooting forty five from the floor, forty six from three. Uh, he's shooting hundred percent of the free throw line, but it's the limited attempts, but he's giving you three rebounds and two assists and then half a steal and a half a block, which look, I, think- I mean, Seth, Seth Curry turned that level of production on the Western conference finals run into a very lucrative contract with the Mavericks. Like yes. there is a clear niche for that role on this team. Yeah. And here's the thing. Anthony Simons, and before anybody else goes crazy, um, yes, uh, he has trade value, you psychopaths. Um, <laughs> I swear to God, I see one more of you guys say that without joking. I'm going to lose my mind. Um, he's a guy who can legitimately take over not just a quarter, but a game. Mm-hmm. This, this is not, this is not a uh, Dan Loves Ant take. This is stuff that I'm getting from folks around the league. You don't go 9 of 10 from 3. And just have an absolutely obscene quarter. You don't just take over the there's stretches this season where he's scored 10, 12 and a quarter when he's the third option on the floor. Like that's that's elite scoring ability and mentality. Mm-hmm. So there's gonna be a night, maybe not this year, maybe it's next year, but there's gonna be a night in the playoffs when you're he's gonna have an arrival game and he's gonna drop like 27 in the game and 18 of them are gonna come in like a third quarter. And you're going to go, what on earth was that? And this is going to, this is his opportunity. And I'll mm-hmm. tell you flat out from talking to him, 
the 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 biggest change in his game has been the consistency. That's mm-hmm. that's the line here. Consistent role, consistent minutes, consistent leverage in the sense of if he makes a mistake, he's not getting the hook right now. He's he's allowed to play through a mistake. Perfect example. Six months ago, five months ago, if Anthony Simons bought, brought the ball to the floor and got caught in a trap and dribbled the ball off his foot, caused a turnover, Terry Stotts would have been up to the scorer's table getting ready to sub him out immediately. Instead, he wasn't up. Ant flipped his heels and chased the guy down and pinned it at the top of the glass and turned a mistake into a success. And that doesn't take away from the fact that he had three turnovers in that game and, and the box score says zero assists. He also had five different passes that led to free throw attempts. And that's the stuff that <laughs> doesn't show up in the box score for him, unfortunately. But his personal growth right now is such that you can rely on him for a couple things. One, he's going to take the right shot. He's going to hit a high percentage from three. And he can run in a pick and roll right now offensively. I mean, he's starting to show quite a bit in that regard. On the defensive side, the level he was at in January versus the level he's at now, this is Gary Trent Jr.-esque in, in, the sen- mm-hmm. in the sense of that learning curve going up exponentially. He, he made so many mistakes off ball, which happens to a, every young player seemingly. He is now not only significantly better in that vein, he's not getting caught falling asleep. And when he does, he knows how to make up for it. There was a, there was a play the other day which kind of showed his defensive growth I highlighted on Twitter. It was a transition opportunity. I can't remember the opponent, but they, they had, it was three on two. Ant got back deep to the corner. That was his responsibility. I think it was Mellow. I can't remember. This isn't Mellow slander. It's just I'm trying to remember. I think it was Mellow or Cantor. It was one of them on, on the floor. They didn't stop ball. They trailed out to the corner to take another sh- shooter away. Uh, Ant left the corner, picked up the, the, the ball handler at about two feet above the three-point line, stopped ball, stopped early penetration, under control, didn't bite on a pump fake, didn't get out of position or overcommit. He just walled off, forced the pass back to the corner that he was in, that he vacated in, flipped his hips, got back to it, and got an actual contest up. Missed shot, Blazers go back the other way. It will never show up in the box score. But for him to see that play, make the play, and do it without fouling or putting himself in a compromising position, that's what you're looking for when you're looking at a young player growing. Not the box score stuff. That comes along when the process makes sense. From what you've seen from Anthony Simons over the last couple of weeks, what what has either stood out to you or what's 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 impressed for you? What what is the thing that you're looking at going, oh, okay, I I, I see where, where they're going with this. Well, obviously it's always started on the offensive end when we talk about and as far as what he's able to do, get to his shot. And then like you said, he, he's it's clear that he's give, been given a longer leash from the coaching staff, and that comes with trust. And then defensively, it's just all the stereotypical things we see with players when the game starts to slow down. And sometimes that slows down first on offense, and then it slowly transfers over to defense. And you're really starting to see that. The other thing I, I'm curious about, and I'd have to, you know, we'd have to ask him, is I think just outside looking in, I think it's been really helpful to see a guy like Norman Powell come onto this team where. Ant has basically looked up to C.J. McCollum, Damian Lillard throughout his career, and now he gets Norman Powell, who is a true two-way player, gets it done at both ends, is a true three-level scorer, similar to what Ant can do. 
and he's the same body type. And I think that is super useful for Ant to see and see how that's done and see how he performs and picks his spots as a tertiary scorer, which that's what Ant is going to be for the foreseeable future with this team as it is constructed. Now that could change over time in the next, you know, iteration of this team. But for right now, that's the role he's got to hit. And to have just an, you know, the prime example in a guy like Norman Powell, I think is super useful for all the young players on this team. And that's, that goes for CJ Ellaby at the end of the bench to Anthony Simons, who's getting minutes now. Like I, I think it, he's trending in the right direction. And also, you know, last year we're sitting here talking when Ant kind of gets off to that hot start. We're both saying, you know, there is always that point where players start to show up on the scouting report and teams start to take away what you like to do or zero in on your weaknesses on defense. And Ant has clearly shown that he is aware of that. He's addressed that some of those issues and he's moving forward from it. And that's separates the players that develop and get a second contract in this league guys who can do that usually end up carving out a 10 year career. If they can get over that initial hump. Yeah. If you can give yourself an equality that regardless of your scouting report, you can deliver on that's how you make success in the NBA. If you're not a star. And I still think that there's a potential for him to be a no BS 20, a game score. I, I, you and I have talked about this. If, mm-hmm. If he gets guys on his cadence and he can dictate two defenses, which I think he will eventually be able to get to, because there's there's times, I'll, I'll say the the game uh, the last game here the other night, um, he had that side pick and roll with Cantor where he got to 18 foot pull up like it was nothing, and when you have a skill set that's that's that elite to be able to create separation, know how to take angles and get to your spot and make it look routine. That's when you know you've got something because you you can dictate with your own cadence and with your own tempo. And I know plenty of folks don't see that, but that's what I've kind of seen the kids since day one. I haven't deviated from that because he hasn't shown me otherwise. Um, that's that's the ant rant for now. I haven't hadn't gone on one for a while, so I had to make sure we got that in. But let's get a few more questions in here before we go too long because I know I've been keeping these podcasts a lot shorter lately. Um, let's see. This from Johnny Mack, uh, Norman solving the high trap problem. How important is it for us to take advantage of what the defense gives us in those situations? What do you say, Steve? So two things on the high trap. I think one, Lillard has done a lot better job this season of declining the screen and keeping that extra pressure away from him as long as possible, which that's not always going to translate to the postseason, but I think it will slightly. I think you're that all adds into if you're making that – help defender travel longer distances you have more avenues for success so that is something that we've seen wholesale changes for for the blazers offensive lord himself individually this year we're seeing that more than ever from him as far as having other options cj mccollum i think is going to get there we know what he brings as a secondary scorer but really you know this is basically turned into the dewald loves norman powell's podcast but norman powell as you touched on at the start of this podcast is a guy you can absolutely trust to make the right decision when he gets the ball and he can torch you from all three levels when he's locked in and that's just something the blazers have not had they paid 70 million dollars to try to get evan turner to do it they paid another 70 million dollars to try to get alan crab to do it they just haven't had it and now you have an opportunity to really see what that role looks like, especially in high-pressure situations with a guy like Norman Powell who has been to the finals and has 
filled a very similar role when teams zeroed in on Kyle Lowry and Kawhi Leonard was off the floor. Like Norman Powell has experience in that role. So it'll be really interesting to see if it all comes to fruition for the Blazers, for Norman Powell, and for this offense in the postseason. I agree. <laughs> I'm not going to go off on a rant on that one because I think you hit it pretty much everything I wanted to hit. And uh, if you've watched any of the postgame shows recently, I, I have gone on Norm rants because this isn't this isn't CJ McCollum slander. I just think the way Norm fits alongside Damian Lillard just makes too much damn sense. The, the ability to have another guy who works in the dribble drive, and not that CJ doesn't, but CJ gets to the free throw line extended and then stops. Norm puts pressure on defenses every foot of the floor. And, and that's that's what matters. I would say the difference I see in the two is CJ McCollum can absolutely break down an individual defender, move side to side as good as any player I've seen in mm-hmm. the NBA. Norman Powell can break down an entire defense, not just an individual player when he gets downhill and everything collapses around him. And that's just kind of the difference. Both of them are definitely positives in a playoff situation, but there is a difference. Yeah. And when you're, you have that gravity to pull from the three point line all the way to the rim, that's what bends and breaks defenses. That's what puts guys in rotation. CJ McCollum doesn't put guys in rotation. Typically that's, that's not what he does. He gets a guy on an Island and cooks them. That's it's, it's different. I think the, 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 the simplest contrast I can make for this is Kyrie Irving versus James Harden. Kyrie Irving has gravity with the ball in his hands as far as cooking a guy and taking him off the bounce. But even he will finish at the rim regularly, and he's one of the best finishers in the entire NBA. But it's more it's less about breaking down an entire defense than as opposed to getting to their spots and, and, and beating a guy uh, in isolation. James Harden isolates – but he, when he isolates, he breaks down an entire defense because of the pressure that he takes from the three-point line to the rim. And that's, I think, the, the differences you see between a guy like Powell and McCollum to a lesser extent. Um, this from Nervous Orca, Blazers in six. Do you genuinely see the Blazers making any noise in the playoffs? This, the runs, the Blazers, has, has all the Blazery vibes of lighting the world on fire at the end of the season and then getting swept because they can't get Dame out of traps. Well, here's the thing. There's still a lot of dumb coaches in the NBA that don't trap Damian Lillard. So Denver's not one of them. Mike Malone will unabashedly trap the Blazers. They will trap Damian Lillard and they will say, CJ and Norm, go ahead and beat us. Go with God. Now, the Nuggets have not seen them with Dame, CJ, Norm, Nurkic, Covington. That may change the calculus ever so slightly. They may be a little, especially without additional bodies in the backcourt they may be less likely to do that, but they're not. If Dame gets on one in game one, you will not, they, they will sell out. They will take the ball out of Damian Lillard's hand. They, they have, they have played that game before and lost, which is why they, they, they just did what they did in the last in their, excuse me, in 2019, which was to say CJ beat us and CJ beat him. That's, that's what ended up happening. And I think they, they don't want to lose, but I think they're okay with that being the way it went. Um, but as far as making real noise, I've seen a lot of people say, well, in 2019 that, you know, they didn't want to play the Thunder because they were, you know, undefeated, you know, the windless against the Thunder, but look what they did. Well, you can't plan on everybody having Scott Brooks as your coach. I, I mean, for all of the, all the, the, they beat the Thunder and the big shot and all that kind of stuff. Paul George eviscerated them. He absolutely crushed Portland. Go back and look at Paul George's box scores in those games. 
It is unbelievable. Now, I'm the first guy to throw Paul George on the bus because he's corny as hell, but Russell Westbrook and Scott Brooks lost that game for that team. Excuse me, that's, that's Scott Brooks. I, I, I'm so stuck on Scott Brooks. I, Bill, being Billy, a, Billy, Billy Donovan. Donovan um, yep. Being stuck on that team. Um, but I don't know what the hell Donovan was thinking. None. none no idea whatsoever. Um, letting Russell Westbrook try to guard Damian Lillard for 45 feet over and over and over again is a recipe for disaster. Um, now, the Jazz will probably play drop coverage on the Blazers. I don't think the Suns would. Um, the Clippers are going to mix stuff up, and when they trap, their trapping is going to be a combination of Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Beverly, Serge Ibaka, and, oh, and Nick Batum. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Good luck. <laughs> That's just kind of think, think when you get in that matchup. So as far as making noise, it's hard for me to buy into that. I just, as, as much as everyone say, well, they're playing really well right now. Cool. Are they playing playoff basketball? No. And until I see them playing playoff basketball and actually being effective on both ends of the floor, I'm more likely to believe the 60 plus games of evidence that I have that they aren't great at dictating terms than I am the, you know, 15 games of tape that says that they're better than what they've been the rest of the season. It's just, and even then I take it all with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. You? I, I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I tend to want to believe the, the long lead up into this recent run of success because I have been a sucker for late season pushes in the past. We've seen this show before. Uh, I will say this. There are some things that could potentially play into the Blazers' favor as far as the pace slowing down in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If you get the Blazers where they don't they don't have to play transition defense, you, I like those chances. I like uh, your half court offense against our half court offense. Like I love that type of yeah. matchup for the Blazers. Um, that said, there's still a lot of question of when you play a team that has an elite wing or a wing that can get buckets. What are you going to do for to guard that guy night in, night out? Especially if there's multiple options. Norman Powell has shown that he can do it, but if they focus it and try to grind him down for a whole series, you know, who knows what happens there? Who knows how the fouls get called in that series? And you only have one Robert Covington on your team. And, and he's really kind of your only big bodied forward. And really it's, it's a disservice to him and what he does on defense to expect him to be this one-on-one lockdown defender. Cause that's just not his game. I mean, he can, he can do it better than any other forward on the Blazers roster right now, but that's not really what his strength is. I, I do think if this team is healthy just for what they can do on offense, I think they can surprise somebody, but I am not going to go and bet the house on them getting to the Western Conference Finals again. I, I do think this team has upset potential, though, which is something sure. that I did not think they had, obviously, two weeks ago. So, so it'll, be inter- about. It, it'll be interesting to see what what – what happens because basically as of two weeks ago, I, as we touched on, we both thought, you know, their playoff chances were dead on arrival. And, and I don't think that's the case now. Okay. Unbelievably. I didn't get a, um, a question about Yusuf Nurkic. So give me your Opus de Nurkic over the last two weeks. I just, I touched on it just a, just a bit, but what he can do offensively, 
is is so understated for this whole team. I mean, we so often look to Nurkic as he is the band-aid to fix the defense, but let's not forget what he does on the offensive end. If they're going to, if teams are going to load up on the perimeter, he will absolutely barbecue you underneath. And yes, they lost that game. One of those games to the Grizzlies, but I mean, he went off. I think he had like 26 points. He beat the hell out of Jaron Jackson. And then in the next game, Valanciunas, he was the one guy that played incredibly well in both games. And, I, I think if you get into the next round, potentially you get past that first round, you're looking at teams that could be beaten up from the first round with guys like Rudy Gobert, Nikola Jokic, depending on how the matchups fall. So I'd be really interested to see what he can do in the postseason, obviously, because he's building a case right now that he is may I mean you've touched on a little bit on Twitter might maybe be the he's the Blazers second best player when everything's working and that's how this team should be constructed really is you have your number one option on the outside and your second best player on the inside and then you have two high level options in Norman Powell and CJ McCollum so and, and he just plays with his heads up with his head up and that just fits so well with what Damian Lillard does off ball, Norman Powell does off ball, and CJ when he's really locked in. I think all those guys moving off ball with him in the middle, it, it's it's really a disservice if you only focus on what he does to the, the on the defensive end. So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you pick up where I left off. Yeah, and I think that's the big thing is that the, what he does for the offense. When I talked about the team play being selfish and, and and not playing for one each other or playing through each other, the the big difference there was they went to a lot less pick and roll. And for everybody screaming about all they do is pick and roll, all they do is pick and roll. Well, when it's Yusuf Nurkic involved, guess what he does with the ball? He moves it. Not only does it get to the middle of the floor, which the Blazers don't do outside of Damian Lillard drives. That's what Norman Powell, the addition of him, opens up so much more of. So the ball gets to the middle of the floor and it gets to the middle of the floor with a guy whose first instinct is pass. There's literally nobody else on this team outside of Harry Giles whose first instinct is passed. That's, that's it. That's, and honestly, when anybody else gets to the middle of the floor, when CJ McCollum gets to the middle of the floor, it is free throw line pull up. When Damian Lillard gets to the middle of the floor, it's turn the corner and get to the edge. And every third time, find that guy in the short side corner. Anthony Simons, he wants to go to the, the pull up to the floater. I mean, you look Carmelo Anthony getting to the middle of the floor means that ball is unequivocally going up at the rim. He is never turning to the middle of the floor to pass. Don't don't get it twisted. And it's Cantor. He he drop steps. The ball ain't coming out. It means going up. So all of a mm-hmm. sudden, when the ball gets to the middle of the floor with Yusuf Nurkic and a team that or an opponent that is so accustomed, so accustomed to getting to the middle of the floor being shot, to just be like just full commit, and all of a sudden, Nurk's got four options. He can go back where he came from. He can find the baseline cutter. He can whip it from one side of the floor to the other. Let's not forget, he's seven freaking foot tall. You send help, it doesn't matter. He can see over everything, and that is a drastic difference between Damian Lillard getting caught in the crowd and the seven foot, 300 pound guy getting caught in the crowd. He still sees it. That's why dealing with Jokic is such a problem. Because you send a double. Hell, look at what the Blazers did to Anthony Davis. They didn't send the double immediately. They waited until he spun middle. They, they, they gave him the LaMarcus Aldridge tactic. So he couldn't see it coming. When you're that big, you can see over everything. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, it wasn't that they force-fed Yusuf Nurkic and he took 15, 16, 17 shots. 
It's that his possessions went up and his involvement went up. And it's not just straight pick and roll one pass shot pass or, you know, one pass shot or one pass pass then shot. It went from Dame to the middle of the floor to back out. And then a defense closes out and it kicks back over to the weak side or to the strong side again. And the defense is caught in their second, third and fourth rotations. And all of a sudden it ends up back in the corner with Norman Powell and the best corner three point shooter in the league. Mm-hmm. That's a strong difference from or strong difference from one pass shot or one pass corner contested three. Like it's just, it, and if you can't look at that and see that and understand that, I would certainly just say just do nothing but watch Yusuf Nurkic. Mm-hmm. Do not watch the ball. Just watch him and watch how defenses react to him with and without the ball and where he get when he gets to certain places on the floor. And you will you will eventually see the value that he brings to this franchise night in night out. Um, I had a lot of rants tonight because I didn't podcast for two weeks. So thank you for coming in and, and letting me yell. <laughs> um, they've got four games remaining as we're recording this now. Uh, they got the Rockets. Who? Uh, let me check the injury report because I got that from the Blazers earlier, and I swear to God, it was a mile long. Um, this is great yeah. podcasting, by the way, um, pulling this up live. Uh, okay, so out for the Rockets. Olenek, Christian Wood, Avery Bradley, Sterling Brown, Dante Exum, Eric Gordon, David Nawaba, Kevin Porter Jr., John Wall, and DJ Wilson are out. Oh, excuse me. Olenek and Wood are questionable. I missed that in, in, the, in the beginning. <laughs> the rest are out. Um. They got four games remaining, Steve, including one against the uh, the Cats. I'm not going to call them the Rockets. They're missing a few. Um, <laughs> what do the Blazers do here down the stretch? I I think are they, they going to win enough to, to to move up to five? It's going to be such a crazy test for them. Obviously, the win the, tomorrow should be a win against the Rockets today. When you're hearing this, um. The Jazz and the Suns are going to be super. I think those are going to be super tough games because I think both those teams, as we touched on, have a vested interest not to see the Lakers in the play-in. They don't want to see that that Lakers squad come out of the play-in and face either one of them in the opening round. So, I think they're going to really give it to the Blazers, and that might be the last real meaningful game that you see either of those squads play down the stretch. And then I think they put it on ice after that Blazers game. So if they can beat those two teams, I think you you have to feel really good about what the Blazers are doing this season. And then who knows what the Nuggets game could look like or, or what playoff posturing could look like in in that match. Mike Malone and Terry Stotts are going to have some fun. That's that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah, yeah. So who plays which which role? And, and really, this for spoiler. And really just the weird timing of that game, like, like like we talked about earlier, just having that be that early in the day on the weekend is going to be – it has the potential to be a really awkward game, I think. could be a real messy game. It's going to be a weird day because every team is playing 15 games all Sunday. It's like the NCAA tournament. It's going to be fun. Uh, thanks for hopping on, man. I want to keep you much longer than that. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up there. Go ahead and plug anything you got coming up, anything you're working on. Uh, and then we'll get out of here. Uh, as always, you can find me at Blazers Edge. Uh, I'll be picking up a lot more work as we head into the playoffs as far as 
really big game recaps. We we usually go all out when we hit the postseason. Um, I I randomly got off my laziness and did a feature today. So talked about what Hollis Jefferson's been able to do next to Ennis Cantor. Yes, it's a very sam- small sample size, but it's worth checking out. Just kind of worth looking at. It's how something the different. Retool their- yeah, something you can do differently with the lineup heading down the stretch. And then obviously after you listen to this and you're not sick of my voice, we, we've, I've launched a new podcast called the Church of Roy Podcast. You can follow us at Church of Roy Pod. Um, you can find us wherever you, you download podcasts. We're just getting off the ground there. So I would be very grateful if you stop by and listen. And, and as always, I appreciate being able to jump on here and talk to you, Dan, because without me getting my sea legs on these podcasts, I'm, I'm not starting another one. So I do appreciate it, man. No, for sure, brother. Uh, again, folks, make sure you follow Steve and go check out his new podcast. Um, there's, there's always and, – and Steve comes on here and he plays nice with me because he doesn't want to rile me up too much because I do enough riling up in the Slack channel and on TV and on the radio. But if you, if you want – I think I can say this pretty clearly. Steve and I see eye to eye on a lot of stuff, but the stuff that we don't see eye to eye on, it is <laughs> wildly, wildly different. Yeah. Um, but And that's, that's what makes this kind of stuff cool is that I can bring him on. And even though right now we're – I think we're after basically you know five years of – seeing the same things we we just i think this i can put this put it this way you have come come much closer to the dark side of agreeing with me on a lot more things than you, yep. you did two three years ago yep yeah <laughs> and, and like you said i think we're so close in so many ways that when we are different on something it, it is such a flashpoint yeah. of just debate that it, it's like people will go oh my god the slack channel is going off and <laughs> And I love it. It's always, you know, we get, we both are very passionate about this team, what mm-hmm. we do and how we cover the league. And I think it shows in that, but also I think there's never been a time where we haven't talked to each other afterwards. I think it's all good natured. And I think a lot of people can probably learn from that style debate. Well, well, it seems might be unhealthy in the heat of it, but, but we're always right back on the same page shortly after. I don't, I don't think there, there's two of us ever who have been at Blazers edge who, when it goes down in the, in the Slack channel, it, it, that it, it goes for any longer than what we do. Yeah. It's usually, you get to scroll back about, you know, four or five times before you find the beginning of this and they're not shortly worded responses. <laughs> no. And usually you'll get the Dave Deckard response where it's like, put it in an article. Stop doing it here. <laughs> no. That's a hundred percent. It would be fun to put everything we put in there into an article, but then also, no, it wouldn't. It would be terrifying. No. That's for no. Sure. I do want to still interview <laughs> at some point in my career and, <laughs> And I know you want to keep your job at NBC. So well, we'll see what happens. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I'm always, I'm always flirting with the edge of it. Uh, yeah. And again, folks, make sure you go follow Steve. Uh, thank you all for listening. Um, this has been podcasting has been really weird for me the last couple months. Uh, obviously again, I uh, just want to thank everybody who does follow along and like, and subscribe and reply and DM me and email me and text me and send me Facebook messages and Twitter DMs and IG messages. L- l- seriously, I I don't think there's ever been anybody I've ever ignored. Uh, th- not uh, not openly. If you, if to you a fault. To a fault that there's yeah. been no one that you've ever ignored. Yeah. No. Seriously, because I I genuinely want to talk to people and I and I want to get your feedback. Even even if I think you're the dumbest person on the face of the planet, like, it, and there are people out there. I do think that about you, a hundred percent. I but that's just the way I'm wired. But at the same time, I I want the the engagement of like and not necessarily like twitter numbers i'm just talking about like talking about this team 
I love it. And Steve will tell you unabashedly, I does not matter what time of day, what the topic is. I will, I just, I, I love it. And so that I get to do this and, and that I've been a part of it for five years. That, that was the other thing that hit me the other day that I have doing, doing this for five years. It was like, good God, thank you. Thank you to all of you who, who make this viable for me. If, Cause I, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't have had a TV show. You know, I wouldn't do the radio stuff that I do. So I just want to take a minute and say thank you, especially because it's been so inconsistent for the last few months with the pandemic, with moving, with a marriage, with a wildfire evacuations. Uh, it's been a lot. So I just want to make sure that I always take time to say thank you uh, and then plug the like, rate, review, subscribe line, because this is the time when after I buttered you up to give me something in return, right? That's how, this, that's, that's, that's how social media works. That's how podcasting works. But no, yep. seriously, please do uh, like, rate, review, leave a, leave a review. I, I, listen, even if you hate me, leave a review. Let, let people know how much you hate me. If you love me, <laughs> let me know how much you love me. I like that too. Um, you can follow me across social media at Danny Morang at D-A-N-M-Y-M-A-R-A-N-G. Uh, eventually, I'll put more and more stuff back up on the site. So look for that. Uh, you can follow Joe and I for the rest of the regular season and into the postseason on Blazers Outsiders following every Trailblazers game on NBC Sports Northwest. Uh, for Steve, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Like you guys Bye.